What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. As always, I've got my right-hand man, Kellen Finney, here with me. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Twitter-famous Colin Landforce. Colin, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I'm well. Thank you. Kellen? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just enjoying the weather out here in Colorado. Colin, what's a day like for you? You know, take us through a, a normal day-to-day. Obviously, no days are the same, but just from a regular basis, you know, what is your role entail and, and what you're doing for the company? Yeah. So with the announcement yesterday and us going public, my, my title is now CTO. Uh, I've always been pretty focused on technology, our tools, uh, and our software stack. And I'll be doing more of that in the future. Day-to-day, though, I'm in the mix. I think a lot of people, uh, especially in the MSO and then in the public space, get abstracted from what we're actually doing. And what we're actually doing is, is making CPG with a super volatile, super inconsistent raw good. So uh, I'm based in Portland. We have a hub and light manufacturing, more assembly here. Uh, we have uh, hubs mirrored very similar setup-wise in Northern California and Southern California. And I'm in the mix trying to make things better, improving processes, uh, making decisions about how we're routing raw materials, what product lines, and just fighting the good fight, really. So let's dive into one of those brand sticks. In the past, you've described them as Bud Light. Can you share a little bit more about how you kind of came to that comparison and lean into that? Yeah. So like you said, Sticks is a value brand for us. And it was, it was the first product that we set out to do in my side of the origin story of Unrivaled. And like I mentioned, we had the network and we we're waiting to figure out what product we we're going to start with. And the pre-roll is such a staple and such a crapshoot. I think even to this day, you go into a store, you buy, you buy a joint, it might be good, it might not, and especially four years ago. So we set out to make a really, really fantastic pre-roll. So from the Bud Light angle, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Like I walk into a dispensary, how, how does, do I understand or gravitate towards that product if that's the one I'm looking for? Well, I mean, every brand's got a muse, right? Uh, I like the Bud Light one with sticks, just everything about the brand energy. You could also take it to the color, right? Um, Bud Light has a very distinct blue the sticks green is is a fantastic green. I love the sticks green. I can't remember its actual name, but I think the dispensaries do the work for you there, right? The consumer walks in and the bud tender is going to point them where they want to go. And if it's value oriented, that's an easy call. I think everything in our industry is is still very much dictated by the bud tenders. So we don't have to do much of the work. Having the brand that aligns with that ethos and collateral that aligns with that obviously helps the cause. Do you try to do any sort of educational with these bartenders because they play such a vital role in the experience for these consumers? That's the whole game. We call it education and appreciation. So in the past, you know, pre-pandemic, we had a suite at the Moda Center, which is where the Blazers play, a suite at the Staples Center, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And education and, and appreciation. Bud tenders are the influencers and the tastemakers at a one-to-one level. Yeah. And they're going to talk to people about and sell people the stuff that they know and the stuff that they like. So arming them with talking points and helping them feel educated and, and be educated and serve their customers is the, the path. So let's dive into the other two brands. Do you have kind of associations similar to the way you, you compared Six to Bud Light? To me, Cabana yeah. is like a Vuv Clico. Okay. Right? Corova is is a Jack maybe uh, it's probably higher price than a Jack. So maybe it's, maybe it's a Johnny Walker black label, but again, this is, this is out of my head, not my department. Um, but I think, I think that paints a good picture, right? Crova is 800 pound gorilla in the room for us. And uh, my favorite thing about really what we're doing is how ingrained in the culture Crova is. You walk into a dispensary for the first time. 
you've smoked flour in the past. How would you, Colin, simplify the experience to walk a uneducated consumer through a product selection choice in order to kind of get started? Sure. The, the best answer to this question is go to the spot in Santa Ana or Bloom in San Leandro or Oakland and find out. Take us through the process of adding another product to your brand. Do you start with the customer perspective in mind or do you start with the product type and then kind of work out to flushing out the brand? Yeah. I mean, we have a fairly famous 117 point checklist for this kind of a thing. Uh, I think it starts with it starts with the market. I think a lot of the times in a lot of industries, consumers may not know exactly what they want. Um, so the first step is the market and seeing what is out there in the category, what the pricing is like, so on and so forth. And from there, you can back into things like cost models and beyond. Our moon rocks, our sticks moon rocks are a great example of this. I think there was not much of that in the market in Oregon before we launched it. There was a lot of uncertainty with our sales team about if there was actually demand for that. We were confident there was. We looked at what's out there. We back into the cost model. We sourced the components and uh, and, and we hit it. What's next? What's the, the next target? What's the next kind of outcome? What, are, what should we expect from you guys in the, in the short and near term? Yeah. So we've already announced our acquisition of Silver Streak, uh, which is exciting. We really like the DTC space. You know, we have our, our retail stores, but I think the entire trend of, of DTC is, is a really interesting one. And I think that knowing that we're not going to be on a USPS truck anytime soon, I think kind of the mixture of cannabis retail and then bringing a, a faux DTC experience or an on-demand experience is a really interesting one. And with Silver Street, it's as big as it gets delivery service-wise in, in Northern California. And we're excited where else that can go. And then I got to kind of stick to our guns uh, with our CEO's comments on this yesterday. We've got more deals in the pipeline. We're excited to keep expanding and adding strategic pieces that, that line up with West Coast MSO and serving cannabis consumers rather than hypothetical ones. So then I guess my, my follow-up question would be like, you, you left out a coast. What are we expecting from the East Coast standpoint? So our West Coast focus is for today. Can't speak too much to the future. Obviously, we have big ambitions and there's a lot to do. There's a lot of untapped markets over there. For now, it's West Coast. And I think that kind of focus is super productive for the day-to-day of a business, which is outside of the abstracted MSO land is like really what matters. And so that focus has been super productive for our team's vision uh, day in and day out and uh, mine as well. So we'll, we'll just have to take it one coast at a time. So do brands travel? So brands travel, logos on packaging don't travel. Biggest misconception in the cannabis space. I think the biggest misconception in the cannabis space is the hypothetical cannabis user, right? Again, drummed up in a marketing agency, an avatar for a customer that may or may not exist, or if they exist, they buy that little vape pen every six weeks, right? We're going after folks that go to the dispensary every day, or they go twice a week, or they go three times a week. Those are the people that consume cannabis. Those are the people that are loyal to brands. Those are the consumers. And I think that th- there's a huge divide across those. And I think it's perpetuated by the fact that a lot of the large MSOs are operating in limited license states where whatever exists is what exists, right? And th- they're setting that tone. When you come to the West Coast, there's been legal cannabis for 25 years in Oregon and California. Maybe it's 20. Right? No, it's 25. It's 25. 96 it's 20, is when I would say right. technically it was legal in California. <laughs> right. Right. So the brands that have grown out of that and the consumers that have grown out of that uh, and the culture and the industry that's grown out of that is not a manufactured one. And it's the most authentic in the country. And that means that I think the most influential brands in cannabis globally will come out of the West Coast. And I think, in my opinion today, it's cookies. 
And it's for all of those reasons. Before we do prediction time, we ask all of our guests the same question. If you could sum up your experience into a lesson learned or main takeaway to pass onto the next generation, what would that be? Builders build. I have a strong bias towards action. I think everything that gets done in general, anywhere, in any industry, in any space is by people that did it. And that may seem obvious, but I think a lot of people sit on the sidelines and wait to be asked to do it or guided to the light and builders build. You just do it. That's how we get here. Love it. 10 years from now, what will be the main differentiator when consumers are selecting a product in the dispensary? I think 10 years from now, we will be getting into a more mature market where brand really makes a big difference. Today, it's much more wide open. In in California, brand is a huge factor. In in Northern California and Oregon, uh, genetics and growers are a much bigger piece of the puzzle. But I think the more mature it gets, the more the brand will matter. And 10 years from now, we won't even be close to mature, but we'll be headed down that path. Cool. So Colin, before we wrap, where can our listeners get in touch with you? We'll tag it all in the show notes if they want to learn more. Yep. Big Twitter guy. So my last name is Landforce, exactly how it sounds. L-A-N-D-F-O-R-C-E. And uh, at Landforce on Twitter, I've, I've been making a conscious effort to do tweets the last six months, and I will continue to do so. And then for us, unrivaledbrands.com, just like it sounds, you can get a great rundown of what we're up to, our brands, where to buy them, all that good stuff right there. Cool. Appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.